Welcome to podcast number 81 of My Favorite Detective Stories. Today's date is 12-31-2019. Our guest this week is, well, me, John A. Hoda. Previous guest, Scott Fulmer, was nice enough to have me on his podcast a few weeks back, and I was glad to sit in the guest's chair. As we will be airing on New Year's Eve, I couldn't think of a better way to end a wonderful podcast year that saw 100% growth in listenership and downloads. Thank you all for your support. I really appreciate it. Welcome to My Favorite Detective Stories. My Favorite Detective Stories features successful private investigators. They offer insights into their careers and advice to those just starting out or to those who are struggling. We will learn from the best. Of course, we cannot finish the show without asking them to share their favorite detective story. On alternating weeks, you will hear from crime fiction writers who discuss their latest books and what makes their fictional detectives tick. Throughout my investigative career spanning five decades, I cannot think of a time that I didn't have a good crime novel on my coffee table or bedstand. We will also talk about their favorite authors as well. As a working investigator, coach, and writer, I hope to bring inspiration, information, and entertainment in the areas that interest me most. Gather around my campfire as I invite you to listen in. This episode is brought to you by my recently published books for private investigators. How to launch your private investigation business. How to market your private investigation business. And how to boost your private investigation business. It also appears as a three-book set in How to Rocket Your Private Investigation Business, the complete series. All can be found at your favorite online retailers in ebook or softcover. Did you know that I also coach private investigators how to survive and thrive in business? Visit my website at www.thepicoach.com. That is thepicoach.com to learn more. The Intermountain PI Podcast follows the real-life exploits, investigative tips, and insightful advice of private investigator Scott Fulmer, the principal at Intermountain PI and author of the critically acclaimed true crime memoir, Confessions of a Private Eye. The names, locations, and other identifying details have been changed to protect the privacy of individuals, both the innocent and the guilty. He's been a police officer and an insurance fraud investigator, but for the last 22 years of his life, he's been a successful private investigator, not to mention an author of numerous books, both fiction and nonfiction. Now, he's slowly turning the business over to his son as he focuses on coaching and mentoring other private investigators. Connecticut private investigator John Hoda is the PI coach. Broadcasting from the crossroads of the West in historic Salt Lake City, you're listening to the Intermountain PI Podcast. Here's your host, celebrated Utah private investigator, Scott Fulmer. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Scott Fulmer, author of Confessions of a Private Eye, 
You can find my book on Amazon, and you can find me on the web at www.intermountainpi.com. You're listening to episode number 24, Connecticut Private Investigator John Hoda, the PI Coach. The Intermountain PI Podcast is brought to you by TrackOps, a powerful investigation management platform used by companies of all sizes and in countries all around the world. With features designed for managing every aspect of a PI agency, TrackOps has the tools to streamline your operation from intake to invoice. Right now, you can try TrackOps for free for 15 days by signing up at trackops.com. Mention that you heard about it on the Intermountain PI Podcast, and TrackOps will also give you 10% off your base subscription price. TrackOps is case management made easy. John A. Hoda graduated in 1975 with a B.S. in criminology from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. He is a former police officer and insurance fraud investigator. However, for the last 22 years, he has operated a successful private investigations business. And many of his cases have made the headlines of the Philadelphia Inquirer and the New Haven Register. John has sat on the boards of both the National Association of Legal Investigators and the Connecticut Association of Licensed Private Investigators. He is a certified legal investigator and a certified fraud examiner. He has written numerous articles for PI Magazine and other publications, and he is a frequent guest blogger and webinar presenter on investigative interviewing. John is also the host of, and this is how I first found him, he's the host of the popular podcast, My Favorite Detective Stories. And to clarify, he describes it as a, quote, podcast for listeners who want to be inspired, informed, and entertained by great detective stories, close quote. New episodes come out every Tuesday. Private investigators are interviewed about how they got into the business and the type of work they do. And every episode ends with a guest talking about some of their favorite cases. You can find it on iTunes or on his website at www.johnhoda.com, that's H-O-D-A, or wherever you get your podcasts. He has also written numerous books, aside from the podcast. He has written four exceptional nonfiction books, and each book addresses a specific facet of improving your private investigation business. First, how to rocket your private investigation business. Second, how to market your private investigation business in less than five hours a week. Third, how to launch your private investigation business. And fourth, how to boost your private investigation business make $1,000 every working day. And these books are designed specifically to assist you. And finally, John created the DVD, The Ultimate Guide to Taking Statements. Now he focuses on the business side of private investigation and coaches PIs and others interested in the field on how to survive and thrive at www.thepicoach.com. Welcome, John. How are you doing today? Fantastic, Scott. How about yourself? I'm doing really good. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and uh, I wanted to tell people how we actually met. You called me to be part of your podcast, which is my favorite detective stories. I yes, but it was also to, to talk about your book. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was the, the topic of our conversation that day, and I found it a really good read, and I really enjoyed it a great deal, and I thought, hey, let's have Scott on the podcast, and let's talk a little bit more about the guy behind uh, the pen. I appreciate you coming on to the podcast, and you are in New Haven, Connecticut. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. We spoke a few days ago, and I think that you have kind of stepped back from uh, kind of a, a more full-time focus on your business. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, 
Tell us a little yeah. bit about what you're doing now and how you, you've made some changes. I think you brought your son into the business. Yeah, and uh, this was something that was not on the radar scope 22 years ago when I started. 22 years ago, my 37-year-old son was 15 and a sophomore in high school. And it wasn't until a few years into the business that once in a while, uh, a second operative on a surveillance was needed. And my son was more than willing to uh, fill the breach and work as a second car. And then off and on during the years when he was in college and doing other types of work, he would help us out on different, uh, different work that I did uh, during the course of the last 20 some years. And more recently, maybe about five years ago, he had been a director of operations for a surveillance company down in Westchester County, New York, and was doing a wonderful job there until the uh, company merged with another company doing very similar work, and they had already had an operations manager. So he was without a job and uh, Mm. had a lot of good skill sets. And you know, I thought this was not part of my original plan 20 some years ago to to form a legacy company and to uh, have my company bear my name and to uh, then end it with uh, my son taking it over. So it was really a wonderful experience to be able to uh, hook up with him again and say, listen, you know, let's let's talk about how we can make this happen. Let's do a gradual buyout. And over time, I will slowly reduce my uh, activity uh, in the business. You will take on more activity on the business. We'll form it more in your vision than in mine. And uh, we'll just make it happen. And uh, to tell you the truth, it was, it was just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I can't begin to tell you how, uh, how nice this experience has been over the last uh, several years. We added also a boy, a boy, I call him a boy, he's also 37 years old, um, that was in our Cub Scout pack and our Boy Scout troop. He was an Eagle Scout, and he just took to this kind of work like uh, a duck to water. And now we're training him in some of the other uh, parts of the work that we do. I think within a short period of time, I will still be the license holder of the company. I still will be the, uh, you know, the, the managing member of the LLC. I'll still handle the books and, and bill payment. But for the most part, field investigations and talking with the customers and generating new business will fall on his shoulders. And uh, I'm really pleased as punch to be able to do that. Not everybody has a chance to um, turn their uh, business over to a family member. Maybe a century ago when you know, people were craftsmen or in a guild, mm-hmm. they could they could do that sort of thing. You know, the blacksmith's kid was the black next next blacksmith or whatever. I'm excited about the chance to um, to have my son uh, keep the legacy of the company. Happy about that. Well, what a great legacy. That is uh, wonderful to to be able to do that. Now, do you have, I don't know much about your personal life. You just have one son? Do you have any yeah, other I have a, a son and a daughter. Um, okay. My daughter is out on the West Coast. Uh, she's in um, near uh, Los Angeles, and she is in the wellness field. She is a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine, a uh, licensed acupuncturist, a licensed uh, masseuse, a yoga teacher, and uh, she has been trained by the masters in Taiwan to do tea ceremonies. So she's uh, she's very much in that world, which out there in L.A. is, well, that's that's kind of <laughs> what it's like in those zip codes. Yeah, so, yeah. She's in the right place for that stuff. <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, and we like to visit her every so often. Who, who doesn't like being near uh, Venice, uh, California and the beach on a uh, on a nice sunny day, you know? So. Yeah, and the weather never, cha- never changes, which is really nice. Yes. I asked her one day when we were out visiting her, 
I said, uh, what's the forecast today? And she says, I don't know. It just, it, it's just that every day it doesn't suck. <laughs> Got to tell you, though, she wasn't a total stranger to my business either. Oh, gosh, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago when she was 16 years old, she helped me produce a, uh, the DVD, The Ultimate Guide to Taking Statements. She was my camera person. She handled the uh, clapboard for the uh, scene changes. She had the uh, soundboard on her lap and she was listening to the uh, audio and she was my uh, she was my on-site producer for the uh, the two days that we did the filming for that uh, DVD. And uh, she did a great job. She was really helpful with me. So it's a family affair. Also in the DVD, the one person I interview on the street actually happens to be in my home. And, and, and that nice lady in the DVD is my uh, my wife. So, yeah, it is truly a family affair. Yeah, it really is. Tell us about that uh, the DVD, the, the Ultimate Guide to Taking Statements. Is that still available? Yeah, I, I have it for sale uh, through my website. The uh, website has a cute name to it, and it's the Department of What Happened. I, and I borrowed that from an Israeli polygrapher uh, by the name of Avinom Sapir. I had gone to one of his training classes in uh, uh, SCAN, the Scientific Content Analysis Technique, through the Laboratory of uh, Scientific Interrogation. He coined that phrase. Uh, I, I am not from the Mossad. I am not from the Israeli police. I am from so, the Department so of says. What Happened. Yeah, I am from the Department of What Happened. And I just wrote that down and I never forgot it. And being a good marketer, I swiped it. So, you know, so that is my claim to fame, the Department of What Happened. And I do it with a DVD. I sell actually three there from the uh, from the website. And it's based upon a lifelong uh, or an adult long uh, love of uh, investigative interviewing. Ever since college, I always wanted to get better and better and better at interviewing. And I always knew that there was you know, something better out there. And it wasn't until I discovered uh, cognitive interviewing that I actually started putting all of that stuff together and uh, trained my own investigators in how to take statements, how to do uh, field interviews, and thought that the, uh, the DVD was the next step in doing so. Well, and, and taking statements uh, is, a, is certainly, a, there's, there's an art to it, that's for sure. I kind of want to back up a little bit and talk about your podcast, which is called My Favorite Detective Stories. Sure. I had the pleasure to be on the podcast, which was wonderful. It's it's organized, and uh, I also subscribe to it. Tell us a little bit about what was the genesis of it? How did you come up with the idea? And then tell everyone about, for those folks that are not familiar with it, Tell them about the format and, you know, exactly what you do, because there's a lot of there's several private investigator podcasts out there. And fortunately, they're all very unique. Everyone's got a little different niche and you do as mm -hmm. well. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, in this in this situation, I, I did not want to start a podcast as part of my author's platform, which I can get into a little bit later on, until I had something genuine to uh, talk about and, and have. I mean, a lot of people will uh, start a podcast with the idea that it has to serve a purpose. But when they, they don't have any genuine content and they're not genuine in it either, it, it is you can hear it immediately. And, you know, it's very uh, forced or artificial. So I, I had to think about that long and hard. And I said, if I'm going to talk to people, what is it that I want to talk to them about? And, and, and secondly, what would be interesting to listeners about during our conversations? And what came to me was the fact that when you get a couple old coppers or a couple investigators together at a conference or a meeting and they're uh, swapping stories, you know, it's one of the most interesting things. And then, you know, people sitting nearby or at the bar, 
will come over and now they have an audience and it's just one good story after the next. And some of them are, you know, knee slappers. Some of them are, oh my God, you can't believe that. And, 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 oh, let me tell you about this one. Or let me tell you about that one. And before you know it, it's three hours later. And I said to myself, no, that's what I want to do. I want to find investigators throughout the world that can tell me their favorite detective stories. It was real simple. I, I got to tell you, I just contacted people and said to them, look, uh, my listenership are aspiring investigators, people that want to get into the business, people that are in the business, but are hungry to learn from other investigators and from their cases. So I, that was the immediate hook. And the hook to the guests was you can impart some great information to my listeners just by talking to me about some of your cases. And that's what we did. And as you can hear, I'm kind of blabbing on now. You, you know, in my in my podcast, I'm the listener, just like the listener is. And it's, you know, several questions that I ask every single investigator. But because their life experience and their work experience was so different each time, it was fresh, it was novel, it was different. And oh, my God, the stories that they would tell me were just out of this world. And I found that to be so rewarding. And I had no problem in uh, lining up guests. I think I maybe had one or two people bag off and maybe it was more because of shyness, not wanting to be on the air than it was to tell me about their stories. So uh, honestly, it was just a, a wonderful blast. I'm using a uh, Blue Yeti microphone. I use Skype like you do. Uh, I use Audio Pro to do my intros and outros, or no, I'm sorry, not Audio Pro, uh, Amadeus Pro. And one of the first things I learned early was to get a good post-production editor, somebody that will remove the gaffes and the, and the coughs and my kitty cat meowing in the background. <laughs> and... Um, all that fun stuff. And it was the best money I ever invested because for me to sit there and trying to splice tape, nah, forget it. I just, it, it didn't work. My, my computer would become a Frisbee very quickly. So, and that's how I, I, I went about doing the whole production. And then every week uh, we would put it out there. It would appear, uh, it would be, it would reside on my uh, website, all things investigative at johnhoda.com. As of now, we have 75 podcasts up there and I'm scheduled out for, until uh, mid-January. One thing though, I, I had to take a pivot, uh, I guess maybe about two months ago. And the reason I had a pivot was the podcast was, was a blast for me and it was a lot of fun for my guests, but I wasn't really seeing a direct relationship between anything, any sales uh, related to my books or related to my business. Although it did help with a brand and branding and it did give me some um, gravitas, it gave me some uh, influencer status within our industry, it really wasn't serving the purpose that I needed it to do. So I had to I had to bifurcate the uh, podcast. And now on alternating weeks, I interview private investigators, but not necessarily about their stories anymore, but more about their business formation and how they created their businesses and, and what challenges they had during doing that. How did they overcome some of the, the obstacles in their way and how did they become successful? I wanted the uh, podcast to be more geared towards investigators that would be interested in hearing about it from a business standpoint to go along with my consultancy. I do PI coaching. So the other part is that on alternating weeks, I then started reaching out to crime fiction writers about their favorite authors themselves, who they like to read and what their fictional characters were. So I might have a crime fiction writer like, say, David Swinson tell me about his character, Frankie Marr, and then then he told me about his favorite author and who his favorite detective, fictional detectives were. 
and and that would speak more to the my fiction writing and my and and fiction writers and also the people that might be interested in my fiction books of which I have a couple and I'm I'm still working on a series. So to me the bifurcation also had to make sense. In other words it had to be genuine. I had to be really interested in talking to my guests. I do and I I love it and it works out very nicely for me. So alternating weeks I'm talking to PIs, on the other weeks I'm talking to f- crime fiction writers and just enjoying myself immensely doing so. And that's the thing. As, lo- as long as you're enjoying doing it, I, I can see c- continuing to do it for as long as you like to. And as long as people comment on it and say, hey, you re- they really like what you're saying and what you're doing, that's the juice that I, I drink up and I enjoy. Well, as you mentioned, uh, you're up to episode number 75. Uh, I get it on uh, Overcast. Mm-hmm. That's what I use to uh, that's my podcatcher. Each episode is about an hour. Some are a little bit less. Some are a little bit more. It it yeah. kind of just depends, I guess. Yeah, and it then does. Uh, it's on Tuesdays. It comes out every Tuesday, I believe. Yeah, I uh, yes, I I try to uh, schedule recordings on Friday afternoons at either two or four Eastern time. But then uh, a couple week, couple three weeks later, um, they air on Wednesday, on Tuesdays. And then I also broadcast out to my social media. I put it out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and my email list, which is growing, which is important for an author to have an email list. And uh, I'm going to, uh, after the first of the year, I promise I'm going to start doing something with Instagram. So where can people they find your podcast on uh, of iTunes, iTunes, Google? Apple, at Google Play, Apple, um, Blueberry, I think, Spotify, yeah. any of the uh, most of the podcatchers you can do it on, or they can just get it through my website, johnhoda.com, and subscribe to it. And every week it, sh- it shows up in their inbox in, in the form of an in-mail, uh, email. Yeah. And so. that's johnhoda, H-O-D-A.com. Right. And it's a, it's a wonderful podcast. You know, you mentioned uh, how it needed to be fun and you wanted to be able to kind of talk to PIs about the business aspect of it, which is really good. And I think I had mentioned to you when we talked a year or two ago that when I started out in the business, it was before email. It was, you know, before a lot of that stuff, a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff. We were using, you know, cassettes for our uh, to, to record video. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got no help. I really get no help at all. And, and so everything I, well, a lot of what I learned, I learned by making mistakes. And that's one of the mm-hmm. reasons that I do this podcast is to help people who are already in the industry and help people that are that are interested in becoming a private investigator so they can learn a little bit about the, the nuances of the business mm-hmm. and, uh, and the things that you need to know. And I, I do like the fact that you talk to people about that on your podcast, and I think it's helpful. It's kind of a way of mentoring and kind of giving back, which I really like. Yeah, and and that was the genesis of my books too. I had four books uh, produced back uh, last uh, April, April of nineteen. Uh, How to launch a private investigations business, uh, ninety days to uh, lift off. How to market your investigation business, uh, less than five hours a week, really. How to boost your private investigation business, a thousand dollars every working day. And then the fourth book was a complete series of the other three called How to Rocket Your Private Investigation Business, the complete series. And that has been getting a lot of traction too. I, I've had it advertised on PI Magazine, uh, one of our uh, favorite uh, insurance agents that, that appear at all the conferences has the books out there on his uh, tabletop to uh, give to his uh, favorite clients. So I'm getting some traction from that as well. And, and that is giving back, too, as well. Uh, let's face it, Scott, both of you and I learned you know, from the School of Hard Knocks. Uh, neither one of us came into this with an MBA or any kind of a, a business background, per se. And uh, our successes came as a result of just getting back up again after we got sure. knocked down and kept going. And what I'm trying to say to these people in, in my different books is that 
let me be the one that gets knocked down. You learn from my mistakes, and then that way uh, you, you'll have a, a smoother and a straighter path. And uh, that's what it's about for me. So did uh, did these four books come first, or did the PI coach come first, or was it kind of simultaneously? No, uh, what came first were the books. I wanted the books to be out there first. I wanted them to be the, the basis or the bedrock or foundation of my coaching. That would be like uh, the playbook for everybody to, to read off of mm-hmm. when, when we did the coaching. The coaching came in late summer, in September, where I, I worked out the bugs with my website, very happy that I built it myself and put in a, uh, a scheduler through Acuity and and added a, uh, a payment format as well through uh, Stripe and PayPal and credit cards. And it allowed uh, persons to uh, secure a free half hour consultation with me. And after we talked, if they wanted to go further, they could book various periods of time, you know, at different costs. And and that has been going along very nicely. I've got uh, several clients now, and I'm starting to build up my afternoons with uh, coaching clients, which I'm really, really happy about. And uh, I'm just so excited that uh, with some of the people that I did coach in September, they helped me work the bugs out of my system. Mm-hmm. And I gave them free coaching in exchange for testimonials. And those testimonials are on the website. And I'm just so happy I did that for those guys. We're talking about the picoach.com. Right. Which is where you are offering uh, coaching services for those in the private investigation industry. Tell us a little bit about specifically what type of services you offer and you know how you can help people. The service is to help them with whatever they need to have done as it relates to, towards their business. Some investigators are just, they don't know who their ta- target audience is. They don't know how to price their products or services. Some lack financial literacy and simple things as building a budget, uh, using QuickBooks where they actually can use the system to help them forecast uh, a budget or you know uh, cash flow. Looking at their websites to see if their marketing copy is reaching the audience that they want to target. Are they being a, uh, a master of none? Are they being such a generalist that they really are shotgunning across several verticals, business to business, mm-hmm. business to consumer, professional to professional, hybrid, whatever? It just seems like, you know, do they have to, they have to know who they're, they're talking to, who their target audience is, and how to give a compelling message to them to be able to convert uh, leads into prospects, prospects into clients, and then how to do referrals and testimonials and that type of thing, and how to build a business that you can scale and replicate. And then one of the things is, I'm going to be coaching some people very shortly on how to get their end game together. In other words, how do they structure their business now so that they can sell it and remove their equity out of the business that they work so hard in for so many years? So it's sort of like succession planning, and that's something that I'm looking forward to. Right now, it's a one-on-one, but I'm looking to do group coaching, say, I have five or six people that are starting out brand spanky new. Then I'll have a 12-week course just for them to walk them through all the steps that they need to do to uh, launch a business. Those people that just want to concentrate on marketing, marketing alone. Another 12-week course where we do that. High-end guys and gals that have a business but just can't seem to break through to the next level. How can we help boost their business? I'm hoping also to do an eight-hour pre-conference class, you know, to either piggyback before or after a major conference, or at the uh, request of a private investigation association or two, come together at a central location where a group of private investigators can come together for a one-day class. And you hear my kitty cat in the background. I think I'm I sorry. Just, 
hurt your cat. So yeah, so that's that's one of the ultimate goals is to be able to to present a uh, a class, you know, an eight hour pre conference class or an eight hour day class where I would have be at an airport hotel where people can come, you know, from uh, joining states and be able to work for eight hours. So that that would be something that I'm looking at. And in 2020, it's going to be uh, the one page marketing plan. That's what I'm hoping to to do my as my first full length eight hour day is to mm-hmm. take people from the very beginning with a, a blank sheet of paper and at the end of the day. They will have a one-page marketing plan that fits their specific needs. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's for their specific needs so that they can implement when they get out there the next day. We're talking to private investigator John A. Hoda out of Connecticut and his website, thepicoach.com. The coaching, is it done over the telephone? Is it through email? Is it a webinar? How do you, the one-on-one stuff, how do you do that? The way it works is uh, I will do a uh, either a Skype or what's called clean feed. It's a, a link where uh, we do record uh, the session. And immediately after the recorded session, the uh, client gets the uh, after action report from me. And, and in that after action report, it talks about what we accomplished during the session, what their action steps are going to be and the time and date of our next session. They also will get a copy in Dropbox where they can go to the WAVE file and re-listen to the, the coaching session. So they have that always for posterity. And it's in a Dropbox that's uh, just their, them and not me. Nobody else can take a look at it. And uh, they can always refer to it. So if they're out in a, on a boring surveillance and say, Pocatello, Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. Yes, you have. That uh, they can re-listen to the to the the things that were discussed during the uh, the conversation. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, it's not it's less of me, you know, coming down off the mountain with the tablets, and it's more of them really trying to discern for themselves what is it they want to do and how do they want to go about it. I can preach, but it doesn't really work as much as people having the aha moment themselves and then wanting to take action on what they see as being their next step. So it's a little bit, it's a little tricky to navigate that because some people can become passive and expect me to have to do all the heavy lifting during the session. And in reality, it's more about them getting clarity over what they want to do and how they want to go about doing it. That is a needed service uh, for many reasons. There are different licensing, as you know, uh, different Mm -hmm. licensing requirements in all in most of the states in the U.S., including some that have no licensing requirements. And you have people coming from all different kinds of walks of life. I mean, I've, I've known people that were librarians that became private investigators, or, or I knew a guy that was a disc jockey, a radio announcer. The folks in the claims uh, industry, uh, law enforcement, they may have the experience of doing the investigating and research, but they don't always have the experience in, in what you're giving them, which is building a business, making, right. making a budget, marketing. You know, having a, a marketing action plan and, and uh, finding your niche, knowing what you want to do. So, so right. kudos to you for doing that. That's awesome. And, you know, part of it came from me having to overcome my own insistence on being the consummate investigator. I placed so much emphasis on, on investigative craft and field craft and teaching my investigators how to do that, that I let slide the other parts of owning a business. You know, I and I, I forgot that I was a business person providing investigative services. And once I shifted my brain from being an investigator to being a business person providing investigative services, in that shift, that mindset shift, that's when I began to, to seek out other ways to go about the business part of it. And let me tell you, it's not always the most exciting stuff, sure. especially, but uh, it's the stuff that that will keep you in business. It's the stuff that will keep you, uh, you know, your cash flowing, keep you out of trouble with the IRS, 
and allow you to maybe have something not only at the end of the year, but at the end of the career. So that's that's kind of what I, I, I learned as you did, you know, the hard way we had to make our way in this world. And we didn't have any real mentors on the business side of it. Oh, yeah, there might have been some um, small business association administration free coaches at the Chamber of Commerce. But in reality, no one really could talk to private investigators about the private investigative business. And I felt that uh, this would be an opportunity for me to give back to an industry that's been so good to me. Excellent. So, yeah. Well, and you have been, uh, you've run a, a successful private investigation business for the last 22 years. I want to talk about your books and your writing, but before we go there, that'll be the last thing we discuss. Some of your cases have made headlines in, in the uh, New Haven Register and the Philadelphia, yep. Philadelphia Inquirer. Anything uh, exciting that you want to, you want to share with us? Well, uh, the biggest cases in the Philadelphia Inquirer were back when I was an insurance fraud investigator working for the Insurance Crime Prevention Institute. In my book, Mugshots, which is a free download from johnhoda.com, I titled one uh, short story, RICO, standing for Racketeering Influence and Corruption Act. And in that case, uh, myself, along with a, a postal inspector and a U.S. attorney, we took down a uh, personal injury law firm, two lawyers. Five doctors, idiots that already had a license to steal and lost it because they were caught stealing. And 186 people uh, engaged in uh, fictitious staged accidents. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, that was a 26-month investigation, largest uh, insurance fraud case in Pennsylvania history. I had another gentleman, actually not far from where I live. He was a cottage mill insurance claims for his his family and himself under a very unique scam where they uh, he would take out multiple health policies that would pay for so many dollars a day in the hospital. And then it just so seemed that his family spent a lot of time in hospital for these quote unquote accidents. So He'd, he'd have all these policies that would pay him $75 a day and, and multiply that by 100 policies. And you get the idea <laughs> how yeah. much money he was making. Yeah. And none of them had pro rata provisions in them. And they all paid per, uh, a daily rate for being hospitalized. And he just figured out the way to, to capitalize on that. And when they uh, arrested him and did a search warrant, he had filing cabinets in his house, like, like a business. Full of this, uh, full of all the claims activity involving his mother, himself, his wife, a couple neighbors, I think even possibly. It was it was amazing, and that was another you know Philadelphia headline. In in Connecticut, the headline cases had to do more with criminal defense work, and it was something that I would not have even considered when I got into being a PI 22 years ago. I had a company called Independent Special Investigations. I was doing insurance fraud work. And it was because some other national companies ate my lunch and I could no longer uh, continue to uh, sustain a profit uh, doing insurance fraud investigation right, yeah. as, as a company. I then had to become a generalist. And as a generalist, I took on criminal defense work. I have to give a lot of kudos to Brandon Perrin for his book, Uncovering Reasonable Doubt, The Component Method. That, that book is my Bible. It sits in my briefcase with me when I do criminal defense work. I went to his 40-hour class, taught me how to do criminal defense investigation and how to uncover, uncover reasonable doubt. And it was there that and back in 08, I believe, had my first uh, murder acquittal. And then a few more murder acquittals uh, came after that. Then a wrongful conviction exoneration and a couple other acquittals involving uh, a teacher accused of sexual assault of, of uh, special needs students. 
And uh, it just seemed like I was catching all these cases right in New Haven. I didn't have to go further hmm. than 20 miles from my home for those cases. I've worked on some innocence project cases uh, that have resulted in persons being let out of jail after you know many years for a crime that uh, the DNA and other evidence says they had nothing to do with. And uh, and it's been a lot of a lot of fun working on those cases. Not very um, not very high paying. I, I like to call them instead of uh, pro bono, I call them low bono cases. Yeah, and, but uh, uh, when you're helping people that are in those types of situations. Uh, maybe they had a really bad lawyer. <clears throat> yep. They uh, had a poor attorney or they, uh, you know, the poor, uh, let's face it, we've got a great criminal justice system in our country, but the uh, the poor get hosed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and with 90% of the cases being pled out, suddenly beyond a reasonable doubt becomes slightly higher than probable cause, <laughs> sometimes even just a preponderance of evidence. Well, the system, and, yeah, the system yeah. couldn't handle it if everything went to trial. But uh, still, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I understand where you're coming from. And I still have a couple of those, even though I'm slowly fading into the sunset. I still have a uh, federal case I'm working on where uh, we were able to get the, the, the gentleman out of jail. And now he is suing the municipality, its police chief and detectives for the nine years that he spent in jail. And he was innocent of the charges. I have a wrongful conviction exoneration case uh, where I'm, I'm sort of tied in with the Innocence Project there, too, for a guy that's been in jail for 22 years for a, a, a crime that he didn't commit. And then I have another uh, one where uh, I'm working on habeas or an appellate case uh, that's going to be going to trial next week. So I promised all three of those gentlemen, one's out of jail, the other two are still incarcerated, that I would uh, work their cases until... Um, you know, until there was no more to be done on the cases. So, well, excellent. And, yeah. So those are some of my yeah, headline cases. I, I've had a lot of other ones. I, I talk about them in the book, uh, Mugshots, which is also titled My Favorite Detective Stories. And uh, and that's a free download from my website, johnhoda.com. Well, hey, I, I wanted to spend the last few minutes kind of shifting focus to your writing. I did want to mention before we go to your fiction, I wanted to mention your nonfiction books, How to Market Your Private Investigation Business in Less Than Five Hours a Week, how to mm -hmm. rocket your private investigation business, how to boost your private investigation business into orbit, make $1,000 every working day, and then how yeah. to launch your private investigation business, 90 Days to Lift Off. All of these right. books are on Amazon. Amazon or Ingram Spark, or right. uh, you, you can get them through your favorite online retailer, both in ebook. But I would suggest uh, the hardcover, uh, not hardcover, the soft cover, because you can write in it, you can highlight it, you can keep it, you know, handy as opposed to maybe being on a Kindle where you might read it once for, and you know not really in, in digest all the information. Not to say that the ebook isn't good; it's just that I think the soft covers would be a little bit better. Well, you yeah. got the books. Uh, you have the website, thepicoach.com. Right. And then uh, finally, let's talk about your fiction writing. Uh, I've noticed mm -hmm. one thing about private investigators mm -hmm. that uh, over the years is that they love to. Well, we're always writing a report. We're always writing. So that's that's, <laughs> that's one thing. But uh, I've noticed so many of them are into not only nonfiction books, but it seems to me there's more that are actually writing fiction these days. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about Odessa on the Delaware and, and sure. uh, your other books that you have. And right. uh, when did you start writing? back in like 2010 that uh, my son and I were at a Philadelphia Phillies baseball game and he bought a program. And in the program, there was an advertisement for fantasy baseball camp. 
And that is a, a camp that takes place a week prior to the opening of spring training for most major league ball clubs. And it's a place where players can come uh, for anywhere from the age of 30 until they can't, you know, field a ground ball. And they can go and rub shoulders with their heroes of yesteryear. It's like an old home week. It's like alumni week for the baseball team. And uh, your stars of yesteryear are your coaches. And you divvy up into baseball teams and you play baseball at the spring training facility wearing a full uniform and getting to be out in the sunshine. In my case, it was Clearwater, Florida with the Philadelphia Phillies. So and you went. So you, you did go. Oh, yeah. Did you go with oh, your yeah. son? No, I went by myself. Okay. It was, and I got to write it off as uh, research because what I did with fantasy baseball was I had this idea kicking around in my head for it had to be 20 years of a Little League coach that uh, had a magical pitch that he threw the Little League, uh, you know, during batting practice. And then by some mysterious stroke of luck, he gets into the major leagues. But I didn't know what that was. Well, it was fantasy camp. He went to fantasy camp and he was discovered at fantasy camp. So I had the beginning, the middle and the end. And I said to my son, I can't believe this. I finally got the middle. I can I can put this story together. And I just want to start rambling about this story. And he says, Dad, what are you talking about? You've never said anything about this. I said, well, it's been in my head for 20 years. And he says, but you can't write. I said, ah, wait a minute. I've written for PI Magazine. I've written for trade journals. You know, I've written thousands of reports for clients. I can learn how to write this. So what I did was I did what any intelligent person would do. They would get a dummies book on the subject. And I got How to Write Fiction for Dummies. And that book guided me through my first novel, which was published in uh, just before opening day of 2013. And that was titled Fantasy Baseball. It's about a second chance. And that exercise, going through that writing process, so energized me that I wanted to become a fiction writer. And then and then shortly after that, I wrote Mugshots, My Favorite Detective Stories, which is more of a creative nonfiction. This is more short stories, too, right? Yeah, short okay. stories and vignettes. And then from some of the characters that were in fantasy baseball, I said, what if? What if these people had, you know, had some sort of, you know, interaction in law enforcement and what have you? And that's when Odessa was born. Odessa on the Delaware is a about a Russian gang enforcer in Philadelphia that wants to take over the entire uh, mob scene in Philly. And a homeless vet unwittingly has the evidence of this man's uh, this murderous rampage, but doesn't know he has it and doesn't realize he's next on the list. And FBI agent Marsha O'Shea comes in and tries to investigate um, this case. That's where I introduce Marsha O'Shea. And that was that debuted this year, actually, um, November of well, within this past year, November of 18. And it, it is now the beginning because I introduce Marsha O'Shea. I will have a three book series out involving Marsha. The first one is called Clearwater Blues, which is already uh, the rough draft is already done. Today, I'm working on Detroit Wheels, and uh, the third book I haven't named yet, but it's going to be a three-book trilogy involving Marsha. And then uh, I'm going to take a breather from the Marsha O'Shea series, and I'm hoping to write a historical uh, fiction based upon the uh, events that happened uh, in Quezon uh, to uh, two Marine battalions that were uh, under siege for two months back in January of 1968 by two North Vietnamese uh, crack regiments. And uh, yeah, that's what I hope to uh to write next, and that will involve some of the characters from fantasy baseball again in, in sort of a prequel fashion. Yeah, so it's really, uh, I just have a lot of ideas for writing. I belong to a writer's group, and uh, I attend writer's conferences. I attended International Thriller Writers Associ uh, Conference this year in New York City. I went to uh, the Mystery Writers Association Conference in Dallas just two weeks ago. 
I went down to uh, CrimeCon in, in New Orleans to see what the whole true crime world was about. I was down there with James Nanos and Nicole Cusinelli yeah. from PI Magazine. Sure. They're looking to do something in that sphere as well. So it was uh, a lot of excitement for me this year uh, with conferences. And, and uh, this past, uh, like two weeks ago, I, I was a judge for the Seamus Awards, uh, right. which is a Private Eye Writers Association Award. I judge short stories. I was a debut novelist, and I was also a panelist. Kind of unique, because for 22 years, I've self-identified as a hard-boiled private detective, and here I am, John Hoda, author. And it was just kind of unique and different to be, you know, in that, uh, wearing that that hat during this time period. Well, it's chapter two. It's chapter two of John John A. Hoda. Did you serve in Vietnam, or...? No. Okay, so how did you come up with the... I'm I'm familiar with Quezon. I mean, I, I, I didn't serve. I'm too young for that. But how did you come up with that idea to uh, to do that historical fiction? Two of my characters from fantasy baseball happened to be on that those hills okay. during January of 1968, and I and that's how they met. And then I thought, well, geez, I'd like to write about that. So that means I have to research it. I have to learn more about it. I have to get it so that it would be of interest to readers that might sure. want to follow some fictional characters during a time period that, uh, you know, has gone by. But probably one of the most, besides maybe the Battle of Way, uh, was one of the most uh, known set piece battles in the Vietnam War because mm-hmm. there wasn't many set piece battles. Ear Drang Valley, I think that was the one with uh, Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah. Hal Moore, yeah. General yes. Hal Moore and uh, right. the 17th Cavalry who who was actually the uh, same unit, uh, that was Custer's unit, that was decimated by the, you know, Sitting Bull and the, the Sioux wow. Indians at that time. Yeah. Coincidentally, that's the same unit I was with in the Gulf War. Custer's Last Stand and uh, uh, Drang. I thought, you know, I hope we have better luck this time around. <laughs> I've been speaking with the PI coach, private investigator John A. Hoda out of New Haven, Connecticut. John, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, how can they reach you? What's the best way to reach you? John at johnhoda.com or john at the picoach.com. You know, I'm not a, a big uh, Twitter person. And, and after we get off of the air, I want you to tell me about your tw- Twitter strategy. You seem to be pretty good at it. And uh, No sleep. But- that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see. I'm on Facebook as John Hoda. Uh, John A. Hoda, I think, post uh, my podcast there. I post uh, some of my blogs there. That's how they can reach me. I'm also on Amazon uh, at Author Central for the book and uh, the department of what happened for the DVD. All right. All right. And I will include, uh, for our listeners, I will include links to all of that in our show notes. Well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate that. John, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Intermountain PI Podcast, the number one show for private investigators who want to take their investigative skills to the next level. Join us every Tuesday on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Send your comments and questions to podcast at intermountainpi.com. That is it for this week's episode. Until next time, this is Utah Private Investigator Scott Fulmer reminding you the game is afoot.
Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments on the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our guest next week is Casey Barrett. He is a Canadian Olympian and the co-founder and co-CEO of Imagine Swimming, New York City's largest learn-to-swim school. His short fiction essays and books coverage have appeared in The Village Voice, Mystery Tribune, Crime Reads, Book Trib, and elsewhere. A provocative voice in the swimming and Olympic community, he has won three Emmy Awards and one Peabody Award for his work on NBC's broadcasts of Olympic Games. He also wrote a column for Swimming World magazine and was the author of the popular swimming blog, Caps and Goggles. He writes the Duck Darley series, Underwater, Against Nature, and his latest, Tower of Songs. I had the pleasure of meeting Casey a few weeks ago at the Mysterious Bookshop in New York City, and it was a wonderful meeting, and I couldn't wait to have him on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear other great detective stories, please go to the website and click on our podcast page. There you'll find the backlist. Now, you're probably asking, John, what about your own stories? Do you have any? Sure enough, I do. And they are available to you free as a download right to your inbox. I have eight short stories and eight vignettes in a book titled Mugshots, My Favorite Detective Stories. Now, here's my ask. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by the stories today, don't be bashful. Share this link with your friends. Better still, go to the iTunes website and leave a review. It's the best way to grow the circle around our campfire. If you have any questions, please contact me through the website, www.johnhoda.com, J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Thanks so much, and have a great day.